Hello, everyone, and welcome to Journey to Success Radio Network. My name is Tom Tutal Cunningham. I'm a motivational speaker helping people to live positively with the challenges of life. I've had rheumatoid arthritis from my jaw to my toes since the age of five. That's 45 years now, and in that time, I've had four hips, four knees, and two shoulders replaced, which makes me sound like a spider, and I've been hospitalized about 40 times. I also stand about five foot one, uh, hence the nickname Too Tall, and that is due to the heavy daily doses of the steroid prednisone that I took to fight my arthritis. Despite those physical challenges, I'm well known for always answering amazing when asked how I'm doing. You can find out more about me at my website. It's Tom, the number two, and Tall, T-A-L-L dot com. My guest today is the amazing Jimmy Burgess. Jimmy has ridden the roller coaster of life. He was a millionaire at age 35, lost everything financially, and bounced back from bankruptcy quickly by starting a new company in an industry that he had no experience in previously. That company achieved revenues in excess of a million dollars within the first year out of bankruptcy. The biggest benefit of bouncing back from bankruptcy wasn't that he bounced back financially. However, it did it took him losing everything money could buy in order to appreciate and have all the things that money can't buy. This experience led him to write the book What Just Happened? How to Bounce Back in Life So You Can Do More, Have More and Be More. And this ironically has turned his mess into his message. Welcome to the show, Jimmy. Thanks, Tom. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm really excited to talk with you. And uh, we kind of uh, focus on life on the same um, Napoleon Hill principle, overcoming adversity and defeat. And my adversity is a visible one. I'm short and I, uh, I limp a lot and I am obviously okay. uh, challenged. Uh, however, a lot of people walk around with invisible challenges and disabilities mm. uh, but that just hurt emotionally right. financially every which way possible and so uh, I enjoy people talking to people who have overcome adversity because that's so many of the people that will be listening to this show right absolutely I think it encompasses everyone someone told me once that uh, the worst thing that happens to you can end up being the best thing that happens to you but often many years <laughs> later, <laughs> and I think we both tested that, haven't we? Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, that, that's what's pretty amazing is, is sometimes, it, for me, the thing that I feared the most actually was the thing that really was a pivotal moment that really uh, changed my life um, and really brought everything else into focus. Exactly. Now, before we got on the show, we were talking about a friend of ours that I have also <laughs> interviewed who's like more like a mentor to you. Talk about your right. friend, Kamanzi. You know, I can't say enough about Kamanzi. I mean, what he's done um, for me is, is uh, you know, sometimes I think we have to see before we can be, and uh, and Kamanzi has been that person for me. He's uh, someone that uh, got uh, had worked in a job he didn't love for 12 years he said he was miserable every day and then uh, finally he had uh, gotten sick and tired of being sick and tired and wrote his first ebook and it flopped but he bounced back figured out how to do this and he sold over 82,000 books in the last couple of years and um, just you know what I love is I love to be around people that you can just tell um, that they uh, there's something uh, inside them that's 
that's exciting, um, that they, they have a passion uh, for life. Um, they have something that's uh, driving them that's not just focused on themselves. And in reality, that's what Kamanzi's been for me. He's been a great friend, a great mentor, and uh, I can't say enough about uh, the time that I've been able to spend with him. So th- thanks for letting me give him a little shout-out there because, uh, you know, we have certain people, I think, in our lives that we just uh, – sometimes we can't thank them enough for all they do for us. Exactly, and uh, I interview a lot of people. What I immediately think of, I remember smiling a lot and uh, writing a lot of things down when I had uh, <laughs> interviewed him. And so uh, those are two good things when you're laughing and learning at the same time. Yes. So uh, that was a great interview and uh, hard to remember all specific points of all the interviews, but if you laughed and learned, you know it was a good one. Right, so, right. So my story starts at age five. Your story starts a little bit later in your life, uh, at least the overcoming the struggles part. So take us back to where everything began to change for you. You know, know, what it really was for me, and and I believe that we've all got certain things that are special in each of us. Sometimes they lie dormant um, for a little more longer, but they, they don't ever die. And so for me, my story really started when I was in my early 30s. Um, I was in a job. I took a job that um, that uh, I really enjoyed the people I was working with, uh, and uh, I enjoyed my clients. But there was just something. I just uh, there was something lacking, and um, and so I uh, after I'd been in this job for about nine months, I was a commercial lender, um, and I had a background in real estate, um, and my portfolio had been growing pretty good. So I went to the CEO of the bank um, and just uh, said, "Hey, I'd, I'd like a raise, you know, to." Uh, and he said, well, we don't give raises until the end of the year, so just hang in there, but the, the bank's going to take care of you. Well, we got to the end of the year, and um, and the raise just didn't come in a way that I had anticipated. And it wasn't even about the raise, I don't think, Tom. A, a lot of times I think it was about the fact that I just thought that I'd be further along in life at that point, and, um, and I knew that I wanted passion. I knew that I wanted excitement, and I thought maybe getting the raise would help me provide for my family more, maybe get me that excitement I wanted. Um, and when it didn't come, it finally got me to a point where I was ready to make some changes. And um, I knew that if I was going to change and if things were going to change, that I really had to start on the inside. And so I began to just flood my mind, like you do, um, with positivity. Um, I began to just just consume every book I could get my hands on about biographies or people that uh, uh, that had accomplished things in life. It didn't really matter to me what business they were in, just if they had excelled and, and lived a passionate life that made an impact on others. Um, I, I listened to a ton of uh, motivational CDs and things as I would come back and forth to the job. And um, it was about three months it took until one day I was driving down the road, and I just remember I'd heard Zig Ziglar say this many times, where he and, and he, where he would say that, uh, you know, if you just help enough other people in life get what they want, then um, then you'll get everything that you want. You know, I'd heard it, but it but it's for some reason when he said it this time, it just it shook something in my soul, and I began to focus on other people. I began to ask everybody that I could find. You know, is there something in your business that you're lacking, or what is it that you need help with? Um, and I began to compile this list. Well, about three months after um, I'd been at that job, I finally got to a point where. Um, I had begun helping people get what they wanted. It turned out that some of the people I would ask what they were looking for their business, I knew that some of the other people I'd ask had that in theirs. And so I began to put people together. Um, And this really changed my financial situation in a hurry. Um, I left the bank, and then within a year, 
time my annual salary moved from being um, what my annual salary was at the bank to it was my average monthly income. And then within two years, it was my average biweekly income. Now, when things happen and change that quickly, sometimes we can lose focus on who we really are, and that's kind of what happened to me, just to be perfectly frank. I, I lost um, – I lost contact with who I really was. I began to let my ego and my pride uh, get involved. I wasn't easy to, to live with. Um, I began to think I was bulletproof, and I made decisions based on that because just everything seemed to be coming that way. And when you do that, um, things can change in a hurry, and they did for me. Um, and I just remember you know, we, we had come from a place where this blessing that should have financially blessed us for the rest of my life um, – I'll never forget the day, May 4th, 2009, Tom, sitting in the parking lot um, in Pensacola, Florida with my wife at the federal bankruptcy court. And I'm, I'm having to face this situation where I've only got $500 cash left in my name. I'm, at, um, you know, I'm in my mid-30s, and I'm starting completely over, and I'm just wondering, how could I do this? How could I let this happen? Um, now, that doesn't happen overnight, and so you know when that thing happens, it starts a while back, and it took a couple of years for it to, to get to that point. But I just remember about three to four months before the actual bankruptcy came in, I knew that I had to get back to basics. I knew that what I was doing wasn't working. I don't know if you've ever had it, but I would, just, I would try to take a deep breath, and I just – I couldn't even take a deep breath because of all of that uh, pressure and guilt and shame that I had. And uh, I just remember thinking, I've got to get back to positivity. I've got to get back to a place where I begin to flood my mind in a way that flushes this negativity out, this worry, all these things I deal with. And I did, and I remember sitting at my desk one day and just plugging a CD in. It was Les Brown. I'm sure you know Les Brown. And and, uh, he had that big, booming voice of his, and he says, your troubles have not come to stay. They've come to pass. And when he said that, it was like it was a trigger that I needed that got me off my heels and back onto my toes. I began to focus on the needs of others again instead of focusing on the things that I was worried about. And that led me to a place where I did, um, once the bankruptcy went through, I started a new company about a month after that. And within a year, we bounced back financially um, really quickly. But as you mentioned in the introduction, it wasn't even about the money. Um, I got this bounce back, and because I'd been through this and I'd and began to refocus, all of a sudden, my relationship with my wife was better than it ever had been. My relationship with my kids was better than it ever had been. Physically, I was in the best shape that I'd ever been in because um, I'd gone through some health issues throughout that process of stress also. Um, and so the whole thing that I found was, is as we mentioned in the earliest part, now that I'm through it, um, it's it's just a matter of understanding that sometimes struggles are blessings in disguise. Mm-hmm. Sometimes those struggles that we go through are actually the things that we need to become who and and what we were created to to be and to become. And so I just I'm excited to have the opportunity to share with you and your listeners the fact that if somebody is in a struggle that it will pass. And then in reality, a lot of times it's just a, it's just a setback that can you can turn into the setup that uh, helps you move forward. Wow, you're you're exciting, a guy who's already excited because this is just so much up my alley. You mentioned a few things that I would use, you know, when you answer amazing to people, and when you answer right. amazing all the time, you can't just say amazing. you got to say amazing, and you got to sell it. A lot of times people ask you, why the heck do you say amazing? It's a Monday. And so you got to sell it, and so... 
in your case, look at this. If you have, you said you had $500 to your name at bankruptcy court compared to the world's population, that would put you at probably in the top 10% of the world's population. Four out of 10 people in the world live on less than $2 a day and don't <laughs> eat every day. And Jimmy, right. you and I are really nice people, but mm-hmm. we're no nicer than mm-hmm. someone who doesn't get to eat every day. Uh, and it, you said your wife was with you at your bankruptcy court. A uh, lot of people's wives uh, would not be with them at bankruptcy mm-hmm. court. They would have a large bruise on their butt and their wife would be <laughs> somewhere else. And so if you really, as you said, you needed positivity back in your life, and mm-hmm. if you had looked, you could find it that compared to the world, I'm not... Uh, missing too many meals. My wife is still here mm-hmm. with me. I live in a great country. It is possible to recover in this country. If you live in a country where you earn less than $2 a day, how far can you go? Maybe you can go right. to 250 a day, but you're not going to go to 1000 a day, right? And so right. you just picked on right. some real keys. Even in your answer, you were able to look and see well, I got 500 bucks. I need some positivity back. I got my wife here. And so amazing, amazing. And then you talked about serving others. And sometimes I talk about it in talks like, I wish there was a formula. You know, if I serve eight people, that's worth $623. It doesn't work that way. But if if you do it purposely and you ask first how you can serve others and don't even tell them how they can serve you, Somehow God works it out, and you're walking along, and something happens in your life. You're like, wow, that was nice. And you're like, I wonder what I did to deserve that. It could have been something you did like 38 months ago, but somehow God sets things up. It's like, wow, Mm -hmm. it's time to reward that Jimmy. Look at him go. (laughs) And so once you added positivity and serving others back into the formula at the forefront of your formula... Our life got a lot nicer for you, didn't it? It did. It did. You know what I love that you I've, I've heard in, I've heard when you've spoken before when you talk about how you everyone that asks you you tell them that you're amazing is is that you know what it, you're, you don't always feel amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know sometimes we've got to convince ourselves, and uh, and I think it is a matter of framing things where we concentrate. And for me, it was where I finally began to concentrate, like you said on all the things I still had or the things that I did have rather than focusing on the things that I had lost or didn't have. And what a that's a whole different perspective, um, and it's a whole different mindset um, when you begin to focus on all we've been blessed with rather than the, the things that we feel like we've lost. And um, so I, I agree. It's a, it's, it's a total different perspective. Yeah, exactly. Now, Jimmy, everybody's going to have challenges in life. Everybody's mm. going to have opportunities in life. And now, sometimes those challenges are lifelong, a chronic illness, not right. going away. Right. And sometimes right. a financial one can be over a period of years, going through the battle and then overcoming the battle. But all along, in whatever, people do some destructive things that stop them from bouncing back. A lot of times those destructive things start with the thirty to 60,000 thoughts that go through their brain every single day. Mm-hmm. But what would you say are either one or the single most destructive thing or even a few 
destructive things that keep people in the oh, oh horrible woe is me state and from bouncing back quickly. Yeah, I think the biggest thing that we find, you know, and and the where those thoughts that we go through our mind on a daily basis come from, a lot of times are the people that we surround ourselves with. Um, you know, I I know that you shared the uh stage with Jim Rohn and one of my heroes and and you know, I love the fact that um that you know, that he used to say there's uh, that we were the average of the five people we spend the most time with, you know, physically, financially, spiritually, emotionally, um, every area of our life, and I found that to be true. Um, I just remember um, that when I was in the middle of uh, going uh, and, and of positivity, when I, when positivity was reigning in my life, when I was growing, and when I was seeing the fruits of that growth, whether it be on the front end um, or after I bounced back. Part of it was is that I surrounded myself and I, I put those thoughts and put people around me in my that would put thoughts in my mind that were positive. Um, you know, at first, in, in some people, you know, I can remember in certain situations where I would be in a situation where I didn't have people around me that were as positive as I wanted. Um, I think your show is a perfect example. Spend time listening to things. Um, that cre- that generate positivity, that that give you a broader view of what's possible. For me, I, I did it through books and with authors. Maybe I never even met them, but their words would influence me and would encourage me. Um, so I, I think it's just truly important. And what happens sometimes is is we got to understand that people aren't always for us. Uh, it's sad to say sometimes. You know, there are certain people that are so insecure in the fact that they aren't willing to make the sacrifices that we make, or they aren't they don't aren't they aren't gifted in the areas that we're gifted in. Maybe they're gifted in other areas that they just instead of helping us lifting us up, they try to tear us down just to make themselves feel better about themselves. Um, Tom, I want to share one story with you. I, when I was growing up, um, I grew up along the coast in in Florida. And uh, my dad would take us. We loved to have these family crab boils where we would boil crabs. And, you know, crab meat is delicious once you get to it. Um, Well, we had to catch the crabs. So there was this area um, in Destin, Florida, where I grew up, that was called Crab Island. It was just a neat, waste-deep water area where all of this, you know, where it was basically there were just blue crabs everywhere on this shallow water sandbar type area. And we would drift across this place. My dad would take a boat. He'd stop it on one side where the tide would drift the boat across. He would tie a wash tub, one of the old tin wash tubs on the back of the boat. And uh, when he would see it, he would stand up on the front of the boat after he turned it off, and we were drifting across, and he'd say, there's one. Well, my, myself, my brother, or one of our friends, we all had nets. We'd jump off the boat. We'd scoop the crab up, and we'd put it in the tub. Well, that was floating behind the boat. It didn't take long for us to fill that, that, that tin all the way to, almost to the top. And I remember looking back there one time and saying, Dad, we, we need to put a top on this. And he said, no, son, um, actually we don't. Just, you know, the, the, the crabs will take care of it. And so I was curious about that. I went back there and watched, and, you know, one of the crabs finally, uh, because it was filled right – all they had to do was crawl to the side and just hop over into the water – decides that uh, he's going to get out of there. This is crazy. So he begins to walk to the side. And Tom, right when he's about to fall over into the safety of the water, one of the other crabs reaches up with his pinchers and grabs him and pulls him right down in that mess. You know, it was crazy, though, because we would actually – that crab would shake and try to get out, and that crab would not let go. As a matter of fact, we would boil those crabs, and into the death, when we would dump them out after boiling them, that crab was still holding on to that other crab. <laughs> it's sad to say – but there's a lot of people around us that just can't help it. They just 
are going to be like those crabs. They're going to try to keep you and hold you back from getting out of a mess you're in. And I think the biggest mistake we make is sometimes we surround ourselves with people that just just really don't have the ability to encourage us and lift us up rather than tear us down. I love it. I love it. And you said something I, I really uh, practice as well. You have to purposely seek out books and authors, people. Right. Uh, if you do not, the world will easily mm-hmm. fill your mind with negativity. Turn on your radio, turn on your TV, mm-hmm. read the newspaper, go to a Yahoo or MSN homepage. Just go nuts. You're not going to go anywhere with that kind of input. And so we have the opportunity. There are people that spend average number, over 30 hours a week watching TV or playing video games. Myself, I read about a book a week. I I don't watch TV, just sports once in a while. So I invest Mm -hmm. my time reading. You invest your time reading. Other people invest their time on their couch watching TV. But it's a choice, mm. and because that's the way, but both of us, when I come at- upon the times when I'm sore and I'm tired and I don't feel like seeing saying amazing, I have enough positive input about people who have way worse circumstances or me or similar mm-hmm. ones who went on and made a contribution to the world that it's almost impossible for me to think, oh, oh, woe is me, because I have right. like thousands of examples of worst woe is me people who are doing way better. And so you right. really do have to purposely seek that out, don't you? Oh, you do. You do. Because you're absolutely right. The world is just begging you not to. Um, it's baiting, <laughs> baiting you, you. exactly. <laughs> it's baiting you into the negativity, um, and uh, and it's it's uh, it's an epidemic, in my opinion. Um, it doesn't matter, like you say, whether you turn on the television. It doesn't matter whether you um, read a newspaper, um, watch the. It doesn't matter. The world is just begging you to come over to the dark side of negativity. I, I love it. But now, Jimmy, a lot of times when people are in the midst of crisis and struggle and adversity, their brain has a hard mm-hmm. time. And so mm-hmm. can you give us different steps to start? Where does the bounce-back process start? Because some people, as I said, when their mind and body is so stressed in the midst of it, they need, like, just do this, and then after do that, and then come back and let me know how this and that went. So can you give them a few first steps? Sure. The the first step that I found is the first step that it takes in any recovery process, whether it be um, a, a... uh, spiritual process, whether it be a physical process, whether it be um, an emotional process, a financial process, it all starts with uh, taking ownership and, and, and any areas. You know, there's certain things, obviously, like you can't control physically what's happened to you, um, and you can't control, um, you know, where you are, but you can control how you react to it. Um, for me, financially speaking, and in all areas, relationship with my wife, um, spiritually, financially, all of the areas, it finally started to click for me when I finally took responsibility. Um, and what I mean by that is is that you know, there were things that happened to me that I couldn't control. Um, I had situations where I had partners or I had um, clients that did things that I could not control what they did. 
But when I began to look back, there were there were warning signs, and I let, allowed myself. And when I finally took responsibility and said, you know, you should have seen that. You should have taken – and I quit blaming other people for my issues, and I began to say, what lesson can I learn from this? You know, I think the first step – you think about it with um, with Alcoholics Anonymous, for instance – they the first thing you want them to do is to admit that they're an alcoholic. You know, you have to admit that you've had that you've got a problem before you can begin to heal from that problem. So the first thing that I would suggest is I almost had to have a day where I drew a line in the sand, Tom. I I took a day and I, I literally laid in a pity party for two years, and um, you know where I would wake up in the morning and I would just begin to feel like someone was hitting me in the stomach because I knew the things I had to face that day, or that I worried I had to face. I took one day. And I said, okay, today can be your pity day, but we're going to draw a line and say, when you go to bed tonight, you're going to leave all of this behind you. And so that's what I did. I wrote letters to people that I thought had done me wrong. I didn't send them, thank goodness, because it wouldn't have been healthy. But I would write them, and then I would tear them up, and, you know, and, and I, would, I would tell myself I'm, I'm releasing this. And then I began to just think about it. And, that whole day, just about all the bad things that happened, I, I, I mourned the things that I felt I had lost. When I went to bed that night, I said, you know what, tomorrow morning when I wake up, things are going to be differently. I started something that next morning, and this is really the second step that I believe is, is that once you take, take control and you, you accept responsibility, is change your heart to gratitude. Um, even this morning, I still do it to this day. When I got out of bed this morning, my first foot hits the floor, I said, thank. And when my second foot hit the floor, I said, you. And, and I began to, each day, like this morning, I said, thank you for the opportunity um, to share my story um, with somebody that might be hurting so that it might help them. You know, with you this morning, I, this morning I was thinking about your show and being a guest today. Um, what I did in the initial part, because it is very difficult in the first part, is I took out and I wrote down 50 things that I was thankful for. It was opportunities I had, like you mentioned. It was the opportunity to live in America where I had a chance to come back. It was, uh, it was the fact that, like you said, my wife was there with me, my kids, my health, um, the friends that I had books, whatever it is for you that you're thankful for, make a list of those things. Each morning for 30 days, I woke up, and like I say, I stepped out, and I said, thank when my first foot in the floor, you and I, my second foot in the floor. And the first 10 to 15 minutes of my day, I focused on those 50 things that I was thankful for. And I would add, them, add a few, and I would take some off throughout that 30 days. All of a sudden, it began a shift where all of a sudden I began to stop focusing on things I was worried about, and I began to focus on things I was thankful for. I began to replace fear and worry with hope and, and excitement. And all of a sudden I began to see things and opportunities that, I, that had probably been there the whole time, but because I was so focused on myself and my own things that I was worried about, my eyes just weren't open enough to see all the opportunities that were flying around us. Um, I had the opportunity this week, Tom, and uh, to, to spend some time with an 89-year-old lady who had been a missionary for 30 years in Japan right after World War II. And she said something that I, I don't know that I'll ever forget. It just struck me. She said, you know, sometimes we're so there, – there are, there are blessings and things fly, and opportunities flying around our head all day. But the problem is, is that we focus on worries and selfish things that we want and that we're worried are going to happen, and we do that so much that we have filled a, a space where those opportunities and thankfulness has nowhere to land. Wow, that hit me because you know I think that when I was in the worst part of my struggle, 
I was so focused on the negative things, and I was so focused on all of those things that I was worried about and who had done me wrong that I didn't have time to realize all the opportunities that were around me and all of the things that I should have been so thankful for. So I just think if you can start from a place where you take responsibility and then you begin to be thankful for where you are, all of a sudden your eyes are going to open to a whole new set of opportunities. <laughs> amazing, amazing. And I wrote something down. When you make this list of things to be thankful for and you really think about it and you're praying about it, you could have on the list things that you don't always like. For instance, you could bug your sister or brother. They could bug the snot out of you. You fight when you get together. But if you really sit down and you're in the comfort of your home and you're thanking God, you could say, well, my sister is pretty good after all. And you could say, well, I'm thankful to have a job. Yeah, Right. Don't always like it. Some days it's annoying, Uh but in the scheme of the world, thank you, God, I have a job to go to. And so when you start actually having to look at the things you're thankful for, some of those things the day before you probably weren't even thankful for. But when you look at it, think about it, and put a list down, you can be like, yeah, my siblings, my parents, pretty Mm -hmm. good. Yeah, yeah, well, it's not the best. I'm not the president of the United States, but, you know, I'm doing all right. And then this really starts you really turning your thinking around, because now not only all the great things are you thankful for, but even some of the things that sometimes are not so great, you're actually thankful for mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. the real scale yeah. of life. Now, I noticed yeah. something on your website that's interesting and different. <laughs> Now you're wondering, what's interesting and different on my website, <laughs> which is kind of cool, bemoreuniversity.com. I like that, B-E-M-O-R-E. Everyone knows how to, if you don't know how to spell be more or university, you need <laughs> to find Jimmy. So uh, this site is the place, and this is the different thing. I haven't seen it for the family man. Not mm-hmm. too many people single that out on there website and so it must be important to you enough to put it on there and to want to focus a lot of your energy and time on those people mm-hmm. it, it is and let me tell you how that came about Tom it's, it's funny you mentioned that but you know when I was in the middle of the financial struggle you know it doesn't just affect your your finances you know those those things it affects everything and uh, I don't know if a lot of people realize this but sometimes the opposite of being at ease when you're stressed like I was is disease, and um, and that's what happened to me. I, I, in the middle of everything, um, I lost my voice uh, for three months. Um, as a matter of fact, I ended up, uh, after bouncing between a few doctors, I ended up in Nashville, Tennessee at the Vanderbilt Voice Clinic um, with world-renowned Dr. Ossoff, treated President Clinton um, when he had voice problems when he was there, every country music singer and Broadway star you can imagine, they're just lined up with pictures of thanks on his walls when you walk in there. And, uh, you know, when I went there after three months, I was really focused on being bitter about the fact that I couldn't communicate um, because that's the main thing that a lot of us take for granted. Um, and uh, I couldn't communicate with employees. I couldn't communicate with um, people that I worked with, clients. For three months, so it 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 did not help. Obviously, 
when you're trying to recover and trying to figure out how to stop a plane that's spinning out of control um, to not be able to communicate. So I end up up there at the, at the Vanderbilt Voice Clinic, and I just remember thinking, finally, I've got the right person. You know, I mean, I finally, I'm going to have somebody that can fix me. I can get back to work tomorrow and, and clear all this up. Um, you know, in reality, I was I was angry. Uh, I was angry at uh, everything around me. Um, I was I was just in a bad place. I was angry even at God. Why would you harm me when you've got these other people that act a lot worse than I do? You know, that kind of thing mm-hmm. that I think we all struggle with. And I remember sitting there after going through these tests for um, half the day with three different doctors, and Dr. Ossoff comes in with his intern, and they've got this video up on the wall there. And he is sitting there, and he's got um, he's pointing at things, and he's talking with the other intern. But I couldn't understand him. They're talking, you know, you know medical terms that I didn't understand. And he finally says, he said, uh, Jimmy, do you see where I'm pointing here? This is your left false vocal cord. This is your right false vocal cord. And you know, I whispered yes because I still couldn't talk. And he said, well, um, that's what we call a mass or an abnormality. And um, we'd like to get an MRI done immediately to see what this is. Now, Tom, you know, I don't know if many of your listeners have ever, at 35 years old, when he said that to me, when you have a doctor say that, um, I didn't hear another thing he said. Um, it just, uh, it, it, it hit me hard. And so a few minutes later, after he stops talking, um, they, they move us over to the other side of the hospital to get this MRI done immediately. And I remember that nurse saying, you know, your family's in the other room. I'm going to be in the other room with the doctor So uh, while this MRI is going. If you need anything, we can hear you. Just, just say, talk to us. And I just remember that steel door closing behind her when she left, and it was just kaboom. And it, it literally, for the first time in my life, I felt completely alone. Um, and uh, I just remember that for the first time in a number of months, as I'm laying there and I hear that MRI begin to whirl, I remember... I remember a tear beginning to run down my right cheek and, and uh, for the first time in a long time. And uh, all of a sudden, I just knew that, um, that I wasn't in control. And uh, the one that I knew could have control was the same one I was angry with. And I just remember praying, God, just open my eyes to the things that I've been taking granted. And if you see fit um, to remove this from me, just let me be um, a blessing to those that I have been taking for granted. And... Um, you know, it was very emotional. I, I never, I didn't even tell my wife or my family. I took a few minutes to compose myself because it got emotional in there after it was done. And I didn't even say anything to my wife uh, or my family at that time. But I left that room, Tom, a changed man. Um, because, I, you know, we got a call a couple day, uh, uh, the next day saying, hey, we believe it's a clear cyst and we're going to give you some voice therapy and some new medication and come back and see us in a month. But I just remember the next day after I had basically prayed for me to be able to see the blessings that I had around me instead of focusing on all that other stuff. I was sick, and so I remember my wife coming in and giving me the medication that morning. It was almost like, you know those pop-ups you see sometimes in cartoons or something? It was almost like when she smiled at me and walked out of the room, it was almost like there was that pop-up that I realized, you know what, she meant it when she said through better and worse, for through richer, for richer, for poorer, for good health and bad health. And all of a sudden I began to appreciate her. And that same afternoon, my kids came through the door. I heard them coming through the door. I'm still in the back of the bed because I'm basically bedridden, you know, from the medication. And um, they come and they crawl up in the bed with me, Tom. And, I mean, I've got one on under on each shoulder, and we're just talking about their day. And and you got to understand, I'm a, I'm a very driven person, so a lot of those days – uh, part of their life, I had been where the only interaction we would have was me kissing them 
because they were still asleep when I'd leave on the forehead or kissing them on the forehead when I'd get home because they were already asleep for days at a time. And I just realized that I was so blessed to have them there at that time. And all of a sudden, I began to realize all of those things and the people that had been calling and worried about me and that had supported me. And uh, and I began to focus on how thankful I was for them. And it just changed everything because all of a sudden my perspective was on what was truly valuable and what instead of what was temporarily valuable, if that makes any sense. And so, you know, I just – I think it's so important to realize – and hopefully people listening won't be as hard-headed as I was to have to get over the hit, hit over the head the way I did to jar me to realize um, how valuable those relationships are around us. Hmm. Wow, you're up to a page and a half of notes in my journal now. <laughs> so you hit on a few things here. Mad at God. Mad at God. Oh. When, you're in a, when oh. you're in a lot of pain, when you're in the hospital, when you're waiting for joint replacement surgery, mm. when you ache mm. from your jaw to your toes, um, you're going to have conversations with God that are not always so kind. <laughs> I might even have called him a few names. And right. Sometimes you can be mad at him. And for instance, mm-hmm. I, joke, uh, I joke in speeches that 70% of people who get arthritis are women. And when I was young, when I got arthritis, my sister and I both had a virus. She got better. I got the arthritis. And so I often say to I say to audiences, you know, I often ask God, why not my sister? Like, she deserves it more than I do. She's a pain in the uh, butt, you know. Give it to her. And so we serve a God who probably has had a few people upset with him, probably. Right. I, and I even have a saying, if I were God, I wouldn't have done it that way. And so, right. thank God I'm not God, otherwise a lot of things would be messed up. Uh, right. But, yeah, I think our God can stand people being mad at him. Um, and mm-hmm. in the end, yeah. he opens our eyes to, okay, okay, come on now, this is actually a blessing. You'll yeah. see it, you'll see it. Right. And then right. he made another point about the doctor said something, and then everything else he said after that was just like, (laughs) I remember remember when I was young, I heard a doctor tell my mom right in the waiting room, he's going to be in a wheelchair sometime in his teens. And then after that, it was just like, and I'm thinking, did he just say that? And I said, piss on him. I am never right. going to be in a wheelchair, and I'm going right. to show him. And uh-huh. so sometimes the and doctors have. <laughs> have to say things because they're statistically true, but as a patient, you can say, let me show you about that other percentage of people that beat these odds, because I'm going right. to be one of them. And then right. you mentioned uh-huh. another thing that hit me so hard, loneliness of being in the hospital. In the daytime, it's okay. People are there, family, friends, encouragers, uh-huh. church people, wives, spouses, kids. Right. Amazing. And this is a point that Dave Lineger, the founder of Remax, brought up when I interviewed him. He was close to death and in a coma for a number of months and hospital for like seven or eight months. And he said during the day when he was out of the coma, it was nice. There's people around loving him, encouraging him, you know, all those nice things. But he said at night... When you're uh, by yourself and you're uh, in the hospital, man, that is a lonely time. That's when you have you and God and your own thoughts. And 
That can be a tough time, can it? It really can be. It really can be. And I think we can do it to ourselves, not just in a hospital. I think we can do <laughs> yeah. it ourselves. Yeah, you know? yeah exactly. I, I've done that. Uh, I've done that before. You know, where when, when things were going bad, I didn't want my wife to worry about things, so I would just kind of hold them inside. You do and, that too? You know, I, uh, it's so isn't it, and it's so unhealthy, you know. And it, here's what I've here's what I've realized, Tom. Because the the analogy that I heard that that hit it, hit the nail on the head for me was in war, and you know sometimes life can be like war. Um, and so in war, the first thing the enemy tries to do is to cut off communication. They want to isolate the soldier on the battlefield, where he only makes decisions based on what he can see right in front of him, you know, and what. What that does is, is the the way that the the soldier on the battlefield is the most effective is, is that he has someone that can see the entire battlefield. He can say there's an attack coming from the left, or maybe you should move forward to the right, or maybe you should retreat back, because they have a better idea. They can see more of that. You know, that's what mentors, coaches, um, people like that. That's the role that they have played in my life is is that when I have been transparent with others, when I have someone that can hold me accountable, and when that that I can be truly uh, transparent with, everything goes so much better because all of a sudden now I'm not a soldier on the battlefield all by myself that's making bad decisions. And not necessarily that I'm making bad decisions. I'm making decisions based on only what I can see and what I think is right instead of having a broader view of what's important and what's truly going on in the big scheme of things instead of just right in front of me. So I think you're right. I think sometimes we can isolate ourselves that nighttime like you're talking about. I just remember that 15 minutes or so or whatever it was that I sat in that MRI all by myself with, with God, just me and God, was, uh, was one of the most, most emotional times I've had in my, my entire life. Um, and uh, in reality, it was a time when it could have gone either way, um, you know, and, and as far as how I was going to let my mind go from that point forward. And so I think you're absolutely right. I think it's critically important that we have – don't – allow ourselves, whether it be on purpose or on accident, to be isolated. We limit that as much as possible. I love it. And now, as I get older, this is not something I realize in my 20s, but the more I read and see and experience people and understand, and even in my wife's case, so I'll give you an example, because I'm going to ask about our past. A lot of times we have to accept our past, heal the wounds, or we can't move forward. The very first date with my wife, she said, I'll never get married again, and I'll never go to church. So obviously she just had a bad divorce, and her father died when she was 16, 15, and she was pissed at God because of right. And yeah. so, luckily, I didn't give up on that statement because those are two mm-hmm. things that are uh, that were on my mind, right? And so, right. Uh, and now, uh, you know, she's there at church every week. She doesn't miss. <laughs> and we've been married six years, but a yeah. lot of that hurt and that baggage and the old wounds, being mad at God, not wanting to ever get remarried again. And so we can't really move forward until we accept some of those things in the past mm-hmm. and heal from mm-hmm. them, right? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You know what I found, Tom, is is that the most the easiest way to heal wounds that we have because we we're all wounded. I mean, it's it's part of life. That's that's the world we live in. 
the easiest way and the best way and the most effective way to heal wounds, not put a Band-Aid on it, is to find someone that's in the struggle you've either come through or you're beginning to come out of and encourage them. You know, it doesn't even have to be that you're through what you're going through. It just You could just be two steps ahead. For instance, your wife, you know, she came out of a situation where it was a horrible divorce, obviously, based on the comments you've made. There are people all around her and us that are, that are either in the middle of a bad divorce or trying to come out of – bounce back from a bad divorce. What an encouragement she could be to those people to say, you know what, I said never again – and let me just tell you, I can't explain to you why and how, but this is this is it will that pain that you're feeling it will pass. Here's what's happened for me, and you mentioned it. The whole reason that I focus on helping family men um, develop businesses and and lifestyles that they love is because every time that I help them, I, I hate to say this, but it helps me probably as much or more than it does them. They think I'm helping them. But in reality, in a roundabout way, it's helping me. It's helping me heal the fact that uh, for a number of years I wasn't necessarily the father and the husband that I should have been. It helps me to, to give someone else the things that I've learned along the way, and, and it makes sure that the pain that I had and the struggle that I went through, it wasn't in vain. And so in order to be able to, bounce, to, to truly bounce back completely – you know, you mentioned at the first, is to turn your mess into your message. Um, whatever it is that you've overcome, you know, it, use that in a way that turns that negative into positive. Reframe it in a way where you're blessed to have had that struggle because you can then turn around and be a blessing to others. Um, and like I say, I remember when I first started coming out of um, out of my financial struggle, um, there were other people around us. A lot of us, you know, in the late, you know, in the around 2005 to 2009, really struggled financially with the way the economy, everything that happened. It wasn't even that I had figured it all out, but I just remember telling somebody, um, you know what, I just, I just went through bankruptcy a month ago. Listen, I don't, I don't have it figured out, but I'll just tell you right now that 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 it will get better. And I, it was almost like a drug, just beginning to help other people. Get encourage them and to begin to – I just had to have more of it. And I think when you realize that you can help other people and that being transparent instead of running away from your past, running towards it and healing other people, helping other people heal their wounds, it in turn heals yours in the most healthy, fruitful, and productive way possible. <laughs> wow, you got me writing more notes. So <laughs> – you said, like, my Pavlovian dog word, encourage, like, about five times. I, I actually have a tattoo on my arm with the word encourager, and it has awesome. two crosses embedded in it. I think it's my spiritual gift. But you can encourage others in a similar position, uh, and you cannot believe how good that will make you feel. And there's always somebody uh, that you can encourage in some way. And as you said, they'll be thinking, wow, that Jimmy sure yeah. is a great guy. And actually you're thinking, man, I'm sure getting a lot out of this. And uh, it's kind of like a win-win well, situation. They think you're great. You think the experience is great. And so get out there. 
And when you're encouraging others, you're actually having to talk to them about the positive things you've done. So it for- forces your own thinking yeah. and words to be more on the positive side as well. Man, you got me excited here. So well, uh, last question. Let me let yeah, me ask you one thing before, if you don't mind. I just want to know, because I know you've done this. You go into and speak to kids and to people that face arthritis. You know, yeah. what does that do for you? You know, I mean, how much does it encourage you? And how much does it help you cope when things get tough to just say, you know what, it's not even just about me. It's not even just about me getting through this pain. It's about me getting through this pain so that I can encourage others that they can get through it. I'd love to hear some of your experiences. I know you've done that in the past. What are some things you've remembered from doing that? Exactly, and uh, as you said, like if you go around being saying amazing and positive, uh, being so positive all the time, uh, you really uh, need to find some good examples. And so, being around, I love being around kids because a lot of them are just resilient. Mm-hmm. They're tough. They're mm-hmm. positive, and so it's a it's a real blessing. I've been used to do that a lot when. Uh, families diagnosed, you know, kids diagnosed with arthritis or needing, young people needing hip replacements, joint replacements. And it's a really powerful experience to be able to pour into their life. And it really makes you think and remember that, okay, this was horrible pain and going through this was terrible. But look at what it's helping other people with oh, now. Yeah. And so by the time you walk away, you got more energy and excitement than when you walked in there. And you're talking about something you don't even like talking about anyway. Like who, yeah. The only time I ever talk about arthritis is if I'm being paid or if it's you right. know, something like this. Other than that, none of my right. friends are asking me, how's your arthritis, Tom? And I'm not going right. up to them saying, oh, Jimmy, guess how my arthritis <laughs> is today. Right, right, yeah. But if you can use it to encourage others, then, my goodness, you'd be selfish if you didn't. Right, yeah. I know. You know what's what's fun for me is is that I've realized as I've gotten older is that, you know, I just wasn't born um, uh, to to crush darkness. You know, I mean, I think sometimes we focus so much – you know, in life about the things we're against rather than the things we're for. And, mm-hmm. you know, I just feel like that I and, – and I could tell, you know, in our conversations before and our emails and everything that I think you feel the same way, that, you know what, I was just encouraged to just bring light. And then ultimately light, it drowns out darkness. It's not the other way around. And so I think that sometimes we can turn the things that are dark in this world – into the things that are the brightest lights um, that can actually go out there and make the biggest impact um, more than anything else we can do. And so, yeah, I completely agree. It's one of those situations where you may think that – and, and I know because when I was in the middle of – whether it be my health or my financial or relational situations that were difficult, you know, I didn't understand this. You know, it, it's, a, it's a process, but it's a process you know you're healing when all of a sudden – you have that ability to help others, and that's when the tables turn. So I would just encourage if there are people out there that are in the middle of a struggle or just beginning to start to come out of it, find somebody to encourage. And by doing so, you're going to move yourself. All of a sudden, you'll begin to run towards bouncing back instead of walking towards it. Exactly, exactly. I love it. And there's a, a real power in that. And if you shed a light into somebody else's life, it kind of leads your, directs your path as well. 
And it does. So yeah. You create light for both of you at the same time. So let's remind people of that amazing website. And if they can't spell <laughs> any of those three words, they really probably can't find you anyway. BeMoreUniversity.com. The toughest word in there is university. People better know how to spell that. So BeMoreUniversity.com. Yeah. And then we really didn't yeah. talk too much about your amazing book, and it is the next, Thanks. after the new Psycho-Cybernetics, it's the next <sighs> book I'm Great. reading. And Great. so uh, talk about that a little bit, just to close up where people can find it, the name of the book, that kind of thing. Yes. Yeah. The name of the book is What Just Happened, How to Bounce Back in Life uh, So You Can Do More, Have More, and Be More. You know, It sounds like in the subtitle, the Do More, Have More, and Be More is financial, but it really isn't. Um, it's about all areas of life. And uh, it is my story of after I came through my struggle, I began to have other people ask me what they, um, you know, if I could help them. And so I did, and then they began, you know, you need to speak about this. And they said, you need to write about this. And so that's how the book came about because I began to study that throughout history, whether it be Henry Ford, Abraham Lincoln, Walt Disney that faced bankruptcies, financial struggles, how did they – what's the difference between them and the people that when they hit a brick wall, they stop? How do those people power through that and actually let that setback propel them to great things? Um, and once I began to study those people, it really fell into seven steps, which I discuss in the book. You can find the book at Bmore University. You can find all my details there, and um, you know, all of it, it's obviously on Amazon Kindle. Um, and a number of, uh, you know, so you you shouldn't have trouble finding it, but on Be More University is great. Tom, I wanted to mention one thing because, man, I've had a great time. Uh, I really appreciate the opportunity to be on here. And um, I want to offer something that really I've never done before, believe it or not. But I want to just say, because I think that your audience um, is a unique audience. And, um, I, you know, I would love to just offer, you know, it's, it's tough to do it for everybody, but I'd love to offer the first three people that, that email me, they can find the email address on the website. Um, I'll be glad to – I'd love to give some people an hour of just kind of figuring out where they are, maybe helping them kind of have that broad view that I mentioned earlier, giving them some perspective, some encouragement, and maybe an action plan on how to start uh, moving forward, whether they want to just go higher than they already are or whether they want to bounce back from something they're facing now. I'd love to just offer that to the first three people. I mean, I can't do it for everybody, obviously, but this is the first time I've ever done that. But when I got talking to you, I just I feel like I, I feel like there's somebody that, that could use some encouragement. I'd love to be that light. So you, you want thanks to give them for the your email today. address, or you want me to? Yeah, uh, yeah, report? absolutely. Yeah, my e- my email address is Jimmy J I M M Y at Do More Have More bemore.com and again it's on the website you know under my contact page if they if they didn't get that caught down they can just go to uh, bemoreuniversity.com and they can find my contact page it'll have my email address there as well amen maybe i might be one of the first three <laughs> I was going to ask you if you'd spend some time with me. <laughs> and normally I would not direct people to another coach because I do the same, but I'm going to put it on. I'm going to promote it. They got your email address, and that's a very nice offer. So let's have some people me, take advantage me, of that because probably the people that take advantage of it probably maybe can't afford at the moment for various challenges and reasons. And so let's get the Let's get ourselves in a place, yourself in a place where you can help them and serve them. And let me encourage people that uh, that are in your listening audience that have been enjoying your 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 show for a while, maybe now. 
um, maybe now's the time that they do need to reach out to you for some coaching um, and, and give them an opportunity. To, because I, I know um, in the time we spent together, there's no doubt that your encouragement and your guidance can lead people to a new level. So if there's people maybe listening that have been listening for a while, maybe this is the time that they need to reach out and, and take their life to the next level with you through your coaching program. Thanks so much, Jimmy, for being on the show today. We could probably go and talk for another three and a half days without any pause, but we do have to let the audience go at some point. They're going to get tired. So uh, have an amazing day, and thank you so much, Jimmy. Thanks for everything, Tom. I appreciate everything.